So today we're going to read Luke chapter 14, so we're just going to look at it together. Um, do you fancy reading out loud or should I just read it? You're all going to be quiet. Should I read it? Let's do it. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked up the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although you cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied. It feels so weird that I'm not looking at you. (laughs) Hi. Now I'm going to turn and read again. (laughs) Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So here's Jesus at another party. And we've been talking about parties over the last number of weeks. We're talking about 10 parties in the book of Luke. And Jesus went to a lot of parties. He not only went to them, he told stories about them. And what we've been saying over the last number of weeks is that there is something that Jesus, or consistently Jesus, is revealing about God at these parties. And so that's what we're paying attention to. What is revealed about who God is as Jesus attends these parties? What do we need to pay attention to? Jesus in the first century, and now to some extent, these parties are statements about relationships. They tell us about identity and closeness, and 
and the honor that happens. That's what these meals are doing. And so when Jesus shows up at Levi's house, who's a tax collector, kind of a cultural outsider, that tells us something about Jesus. When Jesus goes to really prominent people's house and he kind of disrupts the order of what's going on, what he says to women or what he says to the people at those parties, he's telling us something about God. When Jesus is talking to kind of the elite, which is what he did last week, as we heard from Sean, it was a bit of a whoa, whoa, Jesus. And then today, Jesus is again back at some of these elite kind of the elitist group of people, he's at their house for dinner. This week I watched a video of the Bible Project, such a good um, way to learn about the Bible on the Bible Project videos. If you haven't looked at those, you can just type in Bible Project and they'll pop up. This week I looked at one of their videos on justice. And the reason that I looked at a video on justice is because I wanted to get a, a biblical definition. The word justice and righteousness are often paired in the Bible, and they're used all the way through the narrative. And so the way they defined it, which I thought was really good, the word justice is that all humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who they are. That is the biblical definition of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who they are. And then righteousness, which again, often these two words are paired together. Sometimes when we hear the word righteousness, especially if we've grown up in religious contexts, it's like, oh, the good people. But the word righteousness in the text, again, is communicating more an ethical standard regarding right relationships between humans and living things. That's what the word righteousness is pointing to. And these definitions are important because of who Jesus is about to have dinner with. Last week, as we read, Jesus is at the Pharisees' house. And they perceive themselves as righteous, having all the correct behaviors. And so Jesus steps into that place and, as we heard, just is not messing about. This is what he says at a dinner party. Can you imagine you go to a dinner party and you think like this person is going to show up and you're just all going to enjoy a nice time and then all of a sudden someone says this. This is what Jesus says at the dinner party that he was invited to. Woe to you Pharisees because you give a tenth of your mint, rue and all of the kinds of garden herbs but you neglect the justice and the love of God. They are being meticulous about their religious practice but they are neglecting what? Justice and the love of God. He then says, Woe to you because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. So Jesus is at the dinner party and he's saying, Yeah, you're all meticulous about your paradigms of importance. You're at the center. And he's not too happy about it. Now there's that little tiny one. She's like, I get it. Cheers. Yeah, Jesus, get after it. Get after it. And then he says, you load people with burdens that are hard to bear, and you yourselves will not even touch the burden with one of your fingers. They are burdeners. Their notion of rightness is more important to them than right relationship. 
And honestly, I find these words comforting. Jesus' anger about this stuff is a relief to me. There are things worth being angry about, and these are them, right? And Jesus is not too often that direct. But this is a direct moment, and it is about as clear as Jesus gets. At the next meal, as we read, he takes a different approach. You know, change it up a bit. See if people get it with a new angle, right? Similar people he's at the house with, this time he changes it up. And it's interesting to look at it side by side, because one moment, it's like, here it is, clear as day. Still not getting it. All right, let's go at it from another angle. Back door, back door in, maybe. And so he tells stories and shares words. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to share a meal... At the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. Sabbath was the rest day that was set aside for worship. And these leaders of the communities had guidelines in place so that it would be restful. And Jesus is at the house of these community leaders and he's having a meal. And Pharisees are kind of first century community leaders who are religiously educated, culturally educated, and they are important. And it was their job to show people and teach people how to live in community. That was their job. And he is at one of the leaders of this kind of important community leaders. So there's the, there's the community leaders and then there's the leaders of the community leaders. And that's who he's at the house. Basically, he's at the top dog's house, right? Just like fumbling around with my words. He's at the house of one of the top dogs in the community. And what are they doing? They are watching him closely. I think it often feels like that when we walk into religious spaces. That instead of feeling like we can breathe, we feel like we have to hold our breath. For fear of being caught out. For fear of being found out that there is something that is going to be identified about us that is going to be held against us. And instead of anticipating care and compassion and connection, it can feel like we step into a zone where we have to fear disapproval. how it can feel sometimes walking into religious spaces. And sometimes I think if we're honest with ourselves, we are the people that watch closely with our guidelines, with our checklists, with the standards that we hold to ourselves and we therefore hold up to others. But what's most likely is that we are both. Depending on the situation or the people around us. Sometimes we're afraid of the disapproval of those around us and sometimes we are watching closely 
those around us. As they watch Jesus closely, he sees a person right in front of him with abnormal swelling of the body. And he asks the community leaders, he's like, hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they remain silent. And their silence is their giveaway. But contextually, their silence is really, really loud. Because just the chapter before, we're in Luke chapter 14, it's always good to look at the context in the scripture. And so you've got chapter 14, Jesus is naming something about the Sabbath. And then just the chapter before, chapter 13, Jesus has had compassion on a woman and he healed her in the synagogue, in their place of worship. And this is what happens. The religious leader says, indignant because Jesus is healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Wowzer. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out and give it water? Then should not this woman be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all of his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. There is a group of people who are being meticulous about their everyday religious practices. And defending their position has taken priority over justice the dignity and value of humans. Defending their position has taken priority over their loving practice towards humans. And their intention is to do right. But in following the letter of the law, they have lost the spirit of it. Their desire to be holy has actually become hollow. And we have to be honest with ourselves that as communities of faith, that we have to admit the ways that we are the same. That where we are culpable of defending a position and that defending a position has taken priority over justice, the dignity of humans, where our delivery and action don't much have the heart of love as the heart of defending the position. Where the priority is being right. Monsieur, where has the church done this? Where does the church do this? Where have we done this as a church? Where have you done this?
Jesus' act of compassion in healing this man challenges their priorities. I think that would be wonderful if acts of compassion challenged positions and priorities. What a wonderful thing. Jesus' act of compassion challenges their priorities. Let's have our acts of compassion challenge each other, right? Let's have our collective acts of compassion challenge the broader church. What a way to live. I can get behind that. Yes, Jordan. Get it. Amen. This is an invitation that our acts of compassion would challenge. And so Jesus has challenged their priorities with this act of compassion. And now his words are going to challenge their paradigms of importance. So he's sitting at this meal. He notices the man who has this swelling, heals him. His act of compassion challenges what they're prioritizing. And then he notices something else when he's sitting at the meal. Luke 14, verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked up the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. His different strategy now is storytelling. (laughs) And a parable is a story with a particular kind of meaning, and it leaves you a little at the end to guess at it. And so he tells a story about a wedding reception where... um, The notion is that you wait for the host to give you the place of honor. And Jesus tells this story because there are a whole load of shenanigans at this meal that he's just joined. And the shenanigans are that they're like shuffling around, like trying to get the best spot at the table. And they're like, look how important I am, yo. (laughs) Check out where I'm sitting. Like that's what Jesus observing is they're like, elbowing each other out for the best seat at the table. And they want those best seats because it declares something about them. It declares their importance to those around them and to those watching. The seats give the appearance of importance. But the appearance of something is not the real thing, right? These seats are taken And what Jesus is saying in the story is that honor is given, not taken. Honor is a gift that is given. And these folks have gotten all mixed up about who gets gifts and how you get them. Maybe they felt justified in taking those spots. But when you categorize importance, you have an idea of where you position people, right? When you create categories of importance, you kind of have a pecking order of who's where. You have the top spots and the bottom spots. And for them, the top spots meant that you got the good seats at the meal. 
And people usually make categories that benefit their paradigms, not usually benefit those that are not like them. And I think that that's why right after this story about the wedding feast, Jesus looks directly at the host, the leader of the party, about who's invited to meals. After the story, turn to the host. The next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors. Invote, invite those that stiff arm and stay away from, those that you call other, those that you think will corrupt you or make you less significant. In this case, the blind, the crippled. And if you do, if you invite those people, he says to the host, you'll be happier for it. A good Pharisee, a good leader, would likely consider the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind socially unconventional people to invite over. And this leader may have been willing to invite the socially unconventional. But the zinger here is that he would have viewed them as religiously unclean. And because of that, he would have made no exception. And we know that they're not really into making exceptions for compassion, right? That has been illustrated by the woman and the man who is swelling, that they would make no exceptions there. So here, Jesus is asking, not just asking, telling. These community leaders directly that their social and religious convention should be rejected. That list, dude, those guidelines that you have, this categorization that you have dreamed up for who is worthy of dignity and honor, reconsider. Who should be at your table, fine fellow? Who you deem worthy? Who society deems worthy? Who your religious conventions dictate and deem worthy? No. No. What if you consider inviting people you think might cost you? Might cost you your comfort. Might cost you your credibility. Might cost you your religious standing. Do you know what Jesus says? you might find happiness. I don't think these people are very happy. That's an inference, by the way. It doesn't say they're not happy. I made that up. So when you read it, it's not there. That's just what I think. Right? It takes so much energy to criticize other people. It takes a lot of energy to be critical, and it doesn't make you happy. 
What if you considered inviting people you don't even think to offer a seat to, says Jesus? Those that you think might cost you your comfort and credibility in your convention, the thing he says is that you might be blessed. And the literal word, um, the Greek word for blessed means happy. Enviable. If you do these actions, you'll be enviable, which is exactly what they're doing at the table. They want other people to envy their spot. Jesus like turns it all upside down. Like Johnny said, Jesus' math is different than ours. We think things are going to cost us, and Jesus says that dignifying each other is a happy endeavor. One that Jesus says has returns far beyond what they're worrying about. Jesus' story and his words to the host challenges their paradigms of importance. And I think his words leave us with a question too. Do we believe that dignifying each other is a happy endeavor? People whose politics are different than ours? People whose theology is different than ours? Do we believe that dignifying others is a happy endeavor? People who see the world differently than we do? Whose lives mean they carry burdens that in proximity may mean we likely will be asked to carry? Do we believe that dignifying each other is a happy endeavor? To show dignity is to show regard and consideration for. To show dignity is to treat others with worth as valued individuals to respect. What behaviors and actions do you expect people to show you as a sign of respect? Think about it. What behaviors show you respect? Do you offer these? And this one is sad. Do you expect them? Or have you learned not to? Has society, has church, has other spaces taught you not to? Jesus' words, I think, would have left them quiet again. Then, one of the guests, total epic moment, he has a remark about happiness at meals. I think he feels awkward. And he's like, happy are those 
Jews who will feast in the kingdom of God. Bless us all, everyone, right? Yes, amen. Can we get an amen? Like, awkward Jesus. Oh, happy. We're all happy. Blessing, blessing. It's like that neutralizer that steps in and is like, oh, no, it's so awkward, Jesus. Happy are those who will feast in God's kingdom. Amen? I love that um, he did get the point. He did get the point. <laughs> um, but I love Jesus in this moment. He stays steely-eyed. And he stays steady. And he remains strong and kind. And instead of letting neutralizer dude, he um, asks or tells another story to this comment. And the story acts as both a warning and a welcome. And he tells a story in response to this comment about another dinner party. A man who threw a dinner party and invited many. When it was time for the dinner party and invited all these guests, come on over, the food's on the table. And one after another, they start making excuses. I can't, I bought some property, I need to have a go and look-see, send my regards. I got some livestock, can't manage it right now, send my regards. Or I'm married, I, can't, I just got married. I have other things I need to be about. And then the person who was throwing the party got outraged. And he's like, quick, get out into the city in the streets and then alleys and collect all who look like they need a square meal. And Jesus uses the same people. Grab the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame and bring them here, bring them in. And they reported back, oh, we did what you commanded and there's still room. And he's like, then go out in the country roads. Just, just fling yourself out there. And whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. Let me tell you, not one of those originals will like get a bite of this meal. He didn't go with the neutralizer. Jesus is in the home of these community leaders who watch closely with their checklists, their standards, of the prioritizing positions, those who are self-dignifying, not collectively dignifying. And he uses this story of a dinner party to tie the whole thing together. He repeatedly challenges the way they prioritize their rituals, and their self-importance over their actual vocation. And their actual vocation is to feast with the very people they have forgotten, they despise and burden. And forgetting their vocation now means something for what is ahead, says Jesus. So this story is both a warning and a welcome. And we need to be warned when we've lost sight of justice and the love of God. 
when our priorities and our practices leave us forgetting dignity and the value of others. When our practices are misapplied, which they had been, away from love and towards ritual. And Jesus sees that they needed a warning. And we need a warning when that happens too. A warning is kind and necessary. And for those whose dignity and value as a human has been questioned by other people's priorities and practices, these words in the story are not a warning, they're a welcome. A warm, loud, persistent word of welcome, which Jesus is consistently giving, and a welcome that comes directly from the heart of God. That while we might forget or despise or burden some more than others, he never will. So if the church or society has burdened or forgotten or despised you in any way, here today, that is not God's heart for you. Which might be hard to believe. Some of us may need a warning, and some a word of welcome. Jesus is talking about what we can expect ahead, and he ties it to the meal they are having right then, which ties us to the meal that we are about to have now. It's not really much of a meal. (laughs) But for the early Christians, this practice would have been a meal. Communion was a meal that they shared together in houses. And we need to grasp that as we come to this table this morning. I'm going to read something from Huso Gonzalez. He says this, In interpreting this passage, we should not forget that for its first readers... As for Christians through the ages, the central act of worship was a meal. At communion, Jesus takes over. He is the host, and we are his guests. All too often, however, Christians have claimed control of the table as if it were ours and not his. We decide whose belief is sufficiently orthodox to share communion with us, and who is sufficiently good and pure, rather than going out and compelling people to enter 
We shut the doors in various ways. Yet, Jesus takes over, just as he did at the house of the Pharisees. And that reality, Missio, is a gift to all of us, that Jesus takes over. For some of us, we need to heed a warning that this table is not ours. That the criteria that we have used to determine sufficient goodness is likely questionable. The ways that we have shut doors may actually be an indictment on us, not those that we are watching closely. And for some of us, we need to hear a welcome that love will take over. How reassuring. That when we are despised, forgotten, or burdened, Jesus' anger will boundary that behavior. And we will be compelled to come close and enjoy the party. So as you come to this table, think of it as a meal. And who is our host? Jesus is our host. And he comes with both warning and welcome. And we would do well to respond. Let's pray. Jesus, I just acknowledge that we're both, that we don't always want to dignify others for all kinds of reasons. And sometimes we are on the receiving end of not being dignified, that our value goes unseen, that instead we are burdened or forgotten And I think often it is easier to imagine ourselves as the forgotten and the burdens. And so, Spirit, would you remind us where we close doors where you don't, where we prioritize ritual, where it doesn't need to be prioritized, where we have forgotten dignity and the love of others. And that we would learn to offer the same kind of respect that we expect. And for those of us in society that have been told that we shouldn't respect, expect respect, would you re-narrate that story? And would you help us as a community to be the ones that re-narrate that story collectively? So that our compassionate actions reorient our priorities. Spirit, we need your help because we are often a hot mess. And so today as we come to this table, help us. Help us to be made a little newer today. In Jesus' name, amen.